Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Good afternoon. I'm absolutely thrilled to be back here today. It's Elaine and uh, we are on Suicide Zen Forgiveness the podcast that deals with suicide survivors and those left behind. And we allow people to share their story so they can lighten their burden. And I want you to know you're not alone. That's not a great place to be. And that's why today my guest is Herbie Mack. Thank you so much, Herbie. I appreciate you joining me. I just want to give our audience a a little heads up on on where I met you. And uh, it was just the other day. Uh, as people know, I can be a little esoteric and I put it out to the universe that I, that I wanted some really good guests. I needed I needed some new good guests. And lo and behold, literally 10 minutes later, I stumbled into a room, uh, a space rather, on Twitter. And there was Herbie Mack. And Herbie Mack was absolutely talking the talk and walking the walk and absolutely resonated so much. I could not wait to get out of the room to invite him to come on the podcast. So thank you ever so much. What I'd like you to do is give our audience an idea of who you are now and what you do. And then we'll go back and get your story. Sure, no problem. First and foremost, thank you for having me on. Uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to me. I am Herbie Mack. I'm a suicide prevention speaker, coach, and I'm the host of the Just Believe podcast. I'm a multiple-time suicide survivor, so I took it upon myself to not only share my story, but educate others when it comes to mental health and suicide prevention. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Now... It, maybe it's just me, but you're, you're so young and you seem so fresh and so there's a real light about you, which I think is wonderful. But I want us to go right back to the beginning. Let's share with the audience how you became a suicide survivor sure. and what that means. Sure. If you want, do you want me to, to share my story now? Yes, please. Sure. Okay. No problem. I'm just going to get into it. Waking up to the sound of someone banging at my door. As I open the door, I realize it's my ex-girlfriend. Trying to figure out why she's here. Instantly, she's like, Ugh, Herbie, why do you look like that? Why do you smell like that? I'm trying to decide if I should tell the truth because every male told me I can't be weak. I can't be vulnerable. I have to man up. Then she uttered these words, I love you. I'm here for you. So I decided to tell the truth. This is the third day in a row I attempted suicide. And to be honest with you, it would have been the fourth. Instantly, she starts crying. She hands me her phone and tells me to call the suicide lifeline. So I did. 
As I'm on the phone, I'm speaking to the counselor. She says, sir, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel today? As I replied, a negative 10. And to be honest with you, this is the first time in my life I don't trust myself by myself. So she recommended I check myself to a mental health facility. So I did. A few moments, I'm getting evaluated by the nurses. And one of the male nurses got up and stopped and said, sir, I don't know if you believe in God or not. I've been doing this for years. You don't belong here. He's going to use you to share your story to save others. At the time, I had no idea what he was talking about. To be honest with you, I just wanted my pillow, my blanket, and head to my room and cry. Because no one thinks about attempting suicide, let alone checking himself into a mental health facility. A few moments later, a psychiatrist come evaluates me, glances at my file, and says, hey, take this. At that moment, I discovered I had a voice and how powerful my voice could be. Since he made me feel uncomfortable, he just diagnosed me in 15 seconds. I decided to speak up for myself. Take what? What is this? I don't, know, I don't even know how to pronounce this. He was offended by how I was questioning her. So he glances at my file again. Says, you're from the Bronx. So people from the Bronx have a low IQ. They can't really read or write that well. I just want to put this out there. When people throw labels at you, please tell them. Labels are made for jars, not people. Since he made me feel uncomfortable, I decided to go right back to that nurse since he didn't want to communicate with me nor cared. I asked the nurse, hey, is there any coping methods or anything that I can do to enhance my mental health? He said, hey, try journaling. He gave me a pencil and a notebook. As I started journaling, I realized the trigger of my depression was my parents. For the fact of they didn't teach me how to love myself. Here I am dating someone else, hoping that they can teach me how to love myself. It sounds ridiculous every time I think about it. As I kept journaling, I realized I was a functional alcoholic. I was drinking to numb my pain instead of trying to understand my pain. A few days passed by, I get evaluated by another psychiatrist, thankfully. This time, she actually decided to give me the proper test to see if I was bipolar, if I had any chemical imbalance. She says, no, you're fine. I'm going to release you from this place. Go home and go get therapy. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I was broke, okay? <laughs> therapy was not an option for me. So I went to Google and typed in how to love yourself. Discovered something called positive affirmations. Had no idea what it was. Since I was in dire need, I decided to take it to the extreme. I got sticky notes, placed them everywhere, from my bedroom to the mirror in the bathroom to the refrigerator to even in my car. Then I did something I'd never done before. Started talking to myself in the mirror, telling myself I am loved. I am smart. I can change the world if I just believe. After that, I got a marker and wrote, just believe as I can. It's, it's big on that mirror. Some of my friends found out that I was in this place and they wanted to cheer me up and take me out since my nickname was Anything Possible because I love Hennessy so much. And then I discovered something called boundaries. I had to tell him, look, man, I love you, but I can't hang out with you. Because once I start drinking, I turn into the Incredible Hulk. And I can't control that man. They didn't get it, but they respect it. As I go home, I kept writing. And I discovered something called forgiveness. See, I had to forgive my parents for not teaching me how to love myself due to the fact of I lost a sister at the age of three due to cancer. So they was depressed. Then I had to forgive myself for damaging my body, trying to end my life because I was depressed. Look, I share my story every time because I personally went from hopelessness to happiness.
And before I wrap this up, if you're ever wondering about that ex-girlfriend of mine, she's now my wife. She blessed me with two beautiful kids. Thank you for allowing me to share part of my story. I appreciate it. Herbie, I knew this was going to be powerful, but I'm, I'm almost speechless at how succinctly, how well you told us your story, but more to the point at how young you were to be able to call on courage and understand what you needed what you needed to look for to help yourself because not all of us are that smart and you can throw the biggest words in the world at some of us and we just they're fine that doesn't give us that inner fortitude that you have oh my god First of all, yeah, I agree with you. Labels are for jars and sometimes not even then. Open the jar, smell it. You'll know what it is. It doesn't <laughs> need a label. Um, <laughs> it's, I have a bit of a different attitude. Oh, I'm so thrilled to hear that she's your wife. I'm more thrilled that you have two lovely children. How incredible. But something I don't know how far you went with this, but First, I want to say I'm so sorry, and, and you have my empathy that you lost your sister. I know how difficult that is. But I also have empathy for your parents because sometimes when we love too much and we lose something, we turn off all our feelings because we don't want to be hurt again. And that can affect kids that we still have and the people around us that love us that we're now too afraid to love and that I think is is exponentially sad because you paid the price for all of that but oh my god let's rejoice in holy moly you're amazing you took that and you turned it on its head and, and you were, what was that spark in you that was so incredibly smart to know that you had to call on courage? You couldn't just let yourself languish there because the psychiatrist, sorry, but the first guy was an idiot. Um, <laughs> That's the nicest way <laughs> yeah, I could say it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I better be, I'll be nice. He's an idiot. No, no, no. But yeah, uh, and in a way, this is something that I've seen often. And it's, it can be where you live. It can be your ethnicity. It can be, it can be so many things. Okay, you're, you're overweight, you're too short, you wear glasses, you're, you're a geek, you're a whatever, all these labels make people dismiss people. But as those that get dismissed, you have to reach deep inside and call on that courage to know, no matter what they say, no matter what anybody else says, you matter. Absolutely, no matter who you are. 
And getting that message out, I think, is as important as us getting the message out that suicide isn't the answer. Because I know of all the people I've talked to in the first suicide in my life, I was seven years old. I'm now 66, so that's been a moment. These things are, they're never right and they're never easy. And they're never talked about enough. We can't expect people to do better if we don't know what the options are. Because I know having those, no, even even as children, we can have really weird thoughts in our head because kids take on what's around us. You know, I'm, I'm sure you probably felt responsible for your parents, for how they felt, okay? Because as children, we take it on. Whatever goes wrong, it, it's our fault in some way. And not talking about it, not talking about the fact that even young kids feel that, you know, it would be better if they ended the pain. It would be better if they weren't there. But if we don't reach out to kids at that age and let kids know, you know what, it's okay. Talk to someone, tell somebody about those thoughts and we can all work it out. And that'll give them the ability and the chance to go forward farther and to reach out for help more quickly. Now, you reached out super quick, <laughs> super quick. And and I just, well, I have to say thank you for that because you're getting to grace us with your presence today. And I think it will have a very deep effect on people because... You said yourself that, you know, you you thought or people thought that you were stupid. They thought you were, you know, they lumped you in with where you live, which I think is beautiful, by the way. I happen to like the Bronx. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> it's just, I think it's just so dismissive and so unthinking to assume about anyone. Yes, I do agree. Because, yeah, yeah we, we don't know what that person has been through. We don't know that that homeless guy that you just passed on the street used to be a nuclear scientist who had a breakdown. You don't know that. You don't know that that lady that's checking your groceries just lost her third pregnancy and she's doing all she can to keep it together. But you don't know that yes. just by looking at her. You know, maybe she's a little unkempt, but that's understandable. And how wonderful is it that your girlfriend, or at the time you said ex-girlfriend, yeah. that, that she was persistent enough to come back and, and check on you. And, and that's, I mean, that's an incredible gift. So how long have you been married? Five years now. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. It's been five years. Um, yeah, you know, to be honest, I had no idea why she came over to my house. She had no, there was no reason. And, um, you know, I had to tell my story all the time. She's like, I don't even remember all of that, yeah. you yeah. know? Um, but to, to answer your, your first question, 
what really I was I felt like a, a wounded animal on as far as like I, enough was enough. Well, once I sat in front of the psychiatrist and he started with the labels and started prejudging me, it was just cold. You know, it was just like, oh, hey, here goes number 95. Yes. Let's just yes. same thing like everyone else. And and when I do tell my story, I always mention about how he made me feel uncomfortable. And yeah. I rejected his answers, not because I'm like anti-meds or anything like that. No. It was due to the fact of there wasn't it was just wrong. And and I and I and I checked myself in there. So it wasn't like. You know, I, I read everything that, you know, I signed because I volunteered myself and you're supposed to be there for 72 hours. And since he was the head guy in charge, no one could say anything to him. And I was the first patient to ever talk back to him. Yeah. And for me, it was just like, I'm alive for a reason. Yeah. No one is going to save you but you. Either now you're going to speak yeah. up and stand up for something. Or just fall. Yeah. And, you know, even here, I, I'm learning later in life that, you know, in retrospect, you were the wake-up call he needed to stop doing his job by rote and oh. simply doing what was expedient because that had become the norm for him. And, and Elaine, may I chime in? Yes, He's no please. longer in the medical field. Got his license revolt. That place that I was at was they they sold the business to someone else because somebody was running it that had no medical. Oh man, it was like like <laughs> I I kept his name. You know, I don't forget faces and names. Yeah, and I kept just kept checking in, and what he was doing to everyone was just it was wrong, and people there because I'm. I'm not I'm not sure if I'm allowed to to curse in your program but go right ahead. <laughs> so so once I reject him and I love him and he's like you're never going to leave. You're never going to fucking leave until you take what I tell you. And it didn't dawn on me that that like man this is not I came here for help. Yeah. Yeah. You know as as someone going through a mental health crisis you want help and you want to be heard. He wasn't listening. And thankfully, there was another psychiatrist who luckily got hired like a couple of weeks ago that actually did the work because, you know, she, when she evaluated me before she did, she was like, oh, hey, how was your exam with, with you know, the prior doctor? And I was like, what, what exam? And she's like, no, how was it? And I was like, I was in his office for two minutes and he talked at me once I stood up. And so she gave me a proper test. It was like almost an hour long. And it showed that, oh, okay, he was right. And then she kept asking the staff, like, hey, is Herbie doing anything wrong? And the staff is like, no, he's pretty quiet. He just writes all day. Or he volunteers with the um, group therapy or the peer sessions, you know? And that really, I'm not going to lie, he, he personally is the reason why I share my story. Yeah, yeah. Like that was my Joker, and I decided to become Batman to put it there for people like that. Oh, I like that. I like that. We we all need that catalyst that that will propel us into doing something with what we have. And something that you said there that I think it's really important for the audience to get. 
when you are feeling, you know, that you are in a mental health crisis, when, when things just aren't right, you have to listen to your gut. Not necessarily the voices in your head, not the, the wild thoughts, but that, that deep intuition that will tell you if that person is safe. And he obviously was not. Yeah. And that, that's that, you know, something made you uncomfortable. That's something I want people to always keep uppermost in their mind. Because when we listen to our intuition, we can avoid some pretty horrible stuff. Yes, yes. And, and I always tell people, even if you're not going through a crisis, if you want to seek a therapist or or a psychiatrist or anything like that, look at them as like they're providing a service. So if you're not yeah. comfortable with that, it, you know, if they're not speaking your love language, it's okay to look for another one. It's like when you go to get your oil change and you're like, hey, I, I need oil change. And then the guy comes five minutes later, hey, I got these new tires for you. And you're like, well, yeah. I, I didn't come for tires. <laughs> I just simply came for oil change. Hello. Yeah. And it, when they're not listening to you, you hey, can I get my car? I'm going somewhere else. So Absolutely. when it comes to that, see, think about it like that. Or even if you're going to see a hairstylist, you're not going to see yeah. the same hairstylist that's like, hey, I requested pink hair, not purple. You're going to go see someone else. So just to put it in that, in that perspective for people. And, and really, when, you, when you're aware that you have that internal system that will direct you, you approach people differently. And, and that's, you know, that's the greatest thing in the world. When you can connect with someone and everything about them just feels right, then you know that you're safe. Because that's the second thing. We want to be heard, but we need to feel safe. In order to tell our story, in order to reach out, we have to feel safe. And there's nothing worse than feeling, you know, at six and sevens, being totally lost and having the people that are coming around you not making you feel safe. That's probably the worst thing in the world. Yes, yes. Now, I tell people, your past doesn't define you does not define your, your future or anything, but healing does. Yeah. You know, we can't change what happened in the past. Nope. So, you know, for me, you know, my trauma, yeah, losing a sister. She was three. I was about 15. And, you know, the dynamics change. And not only that, but obviously living in the Bronx is, it's not easy as well, the, the area that I grew up in. So it was yeah. a lot of that. And then still trying to figure out who I am at 15. And the questions that I had, my parents, obviously, they, they loved me, but they never really showed that. You know, it, it's the old saying of, I provided clothes for you, you have food, and you have shelter. I don't have to say I love you. But mentally, that was affecting me. Yeah. You know, I was questioning if my mom loved me. I was questioning if my dad loved me. And, you know, you don't realize this as a teen. You know, when you're young, your brain is not fully developed yet. No, you can't no. even process your emotions yet, let alone like hormones and all of that. Oh my so, God. <laughs> so, you know, once I got older and, you know, things just started popping up, like the skeletons was just slowly coming out of my closet. I was stopping at the liquor store way more than I needed to. Not only just once a week or, or twice a week, I was going every day, sometimes twice a day, you know, and I was, and I 
until I got into that facility, and I and I think I'm so thankful for that that nurse to break yeah. the barrier and introduce me to journaling. It it helped me understand my habits, right? Like just where my brain was at. So um, I journal for six months, right? I journal for six months. I I believe in small wins. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do something I've never done before. I'm gonna go on vacation. But prior to I go on vacation, because you know, I'm a workaholic, prior to going on a vacation, I said, I'm going to journal for six months. And then when I come back, I'm going to buy another journal to help me understand. Um, for those who out there that just don't know, I'm a huge basketball fan. And being a huge basketball fan in high school, my high school coach always asks me, hey, what is the, what is the area in your game that you have to improve? And you know, I was just like, dude, you're the coach. Please tell me. And he said, I'm going to help you identify the areas to improve. So I use that reference for writing, right? Let me let me break down the areas that I need to improve in my life. <laughs> and and it helped, right? So, you know, six months I'm writing, writing my heart out. And I go on vacation. And I come back with a clear mind. So now I'm reading what I wrote as if it's a book. And I look at things like, just to simplify it, like it was a triangle. So I was able to monitor my behavior, my thoughts, my feelings. Oh, wow. And once I was able to see the areas that I have to improve, drinking was one of them. The relationship with my parents was another. The relationship held with myself was another, yeah. you know? And then learning how to be okay with my emotions, you know? Talking to myself, positive talk was something that no one taught me and I had to get used to saying I am love I am smart I can do this you know and and people always like oh man you're always positive no I'm I'm human so I have my my days when I'm happy go lucky and I have my days when I'm like ah I want to get out of the bed <laughs> you know but but journaling helped me understand my emotions I always tell people acknowledge your feelings but you yeah. don't always have to believe them simple as that you know it takes about 90 seconds for a feeling to pass and some of us don't even give them that we're so busy stuffing our feelings down or ignoring them or trying to cover them with alcohol drugs food whatever and it's only 90 seconds just think animals animals not only feel their feelings but you can physically see them shake them off. Yeah. Think of the antelopes. Uh, you know, a lion's chasing down a bunch of antelopes and they get away and the lion gives up and all the antelopes will stop and they all shake their whole bodies. That's them getting rid of that emotion. Because if they just hung on to it, by the third or fourth time the lion showed up, none of them could move because they'd be so full of angst and all the other garbage that we humans stuff down, take on and keep inside. Yes. And I think it's really smart to think, you know what, just be like an antelope. Let the feeling go, let it, let it go through for its 90 seconds, whatever it is. And, and all feelings are viable. I think that's something people have to understand. Yes. It's not that anger is a bad emotion because anger can spur action. It can change what you're doing. It can make you look at yourself differently. 
And all of the emotions, if you just let them run their course and then shake it off. Yes, I love that. I love that. No, I love I'm that. glad. I'm glad. I love that. But that's what I would love for people to be able to do. And if we teach children early how to deal with feelings, then we're going to have a lot of children as they grow up and go through that insanity soup that is uh, teenage years and hormones and all of that. Yes. They'll have, I think, a much better chance at making it through feeling better about yes. themselves. I'm glad you said that. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of this. Some people call it the emotion will or the feeling will. Oh. So the it's a will. It shows all the emotions. And it's something that I'm glad that I, I have therapists as friends and, and um, psychiatrists, and they introduced me to it. And there's not only like happiness is that there's so many emotions in, and you can't always just feel one type of way. So, yeah. no, since you always talk about the, the kids and the importance of it, since I have kids, that's something that I implement with them. It's like, hey, how do you feel? I have I have one in the house, uh, in, like in their room, on how do you feel, right? And then not only does it hold me accountable to expressing how they feel, but it, they're learning a new word. And then I also, uh, for my daughter, she's four, you know, like attitude and all. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but I... But when she has those moments of, of those spurts of showing other emotions, I count to 10 with her. Yeah. Then I breathe in and breathe out. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know. She only does it with daddy. She hates doing it with mom. But it teaches her to let me control my emotions. And there's other skills and coping methods that I try to, to do with her and, and my, my son as well, as far as like yoga and doing other things to express yourself. So I think it's highly important to to educate others. Um, even sooner or later, I'm going to start talking more and more about the emotion wheel or the feeling wheel. I'm so glad to can, hear that. Yes, yes. It's something that I learned and it's something that I'm still studying. And I'm just like, we need to have it even as adults. Because sometimes when you're in a relationship and, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be dating. It can be a relationship with your friends and they're asking you, how do you feel? You may not just, you may be confused on, I'm not feeling happy. I'm not feeling sad. You might just say, and you might just have that will and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm actually feeling confused. I don't know how I feel. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's highly important for that. Oh, I think I think that's absolutely brilliant. And yes, we we all need it. Because on top of our feelings, our brains have two tracks. Okay. There's there's the brain that deals with what's actually happening the uh, automatic nervous system does our breathing and and our ambulation and and all of that it's all on automatic by the time you're five years old you're brushing your teeth you don't think about well how do i do this and it, it just happens because you, you get into that rhythm and then there's the brain that deals with all of the imagination all the the bits and pieces that aren't necessarily real but go through our thoughts and because humans tend to learn from story in our heads oh some of the stories that we can tell ourselves just from one word someone says one word and for instance okay husband and wife been married more than 41 years wife says to husband oh we should probably go out for dinner. 
don't feel like cooking. How about we go to such and such a restaurant? And hubby goes, well, that's all he said. Within five minutes, the story can go one of two ways. He's fed up with you. You've annoyed the hell out of him. There's something else going on. He's ready to have an argument. He doesn't want to spend time with you. All of this garbage. Or you can pay attention in your head and think, hmm, I may have overwhelmed with all of those things. Maybe that's not his favorite restaurant. Why don't I offer a different suggestion? All of that is our choice. But as adults, we can only get to a place where we understand that we always have choice if we start when we have our kids and let our kids know that, you know, you have to think these things through and what goes through your head isn't always true. No, I and love that. Yeah, I think we I think we might have to end on that though, because because that was a drop mic. (laughs) It was like, yes. Oh my god. I so I so love this. Well, one thing I besides saying thank you ever so much, I I am just filled with gratitude that that I stumbled into your Twitter space when I did. I would have found you eventually. I know I would have. Yes, yes. But, I'm being I'm being more active on Twitter trying to clean up the uh the information when it comes to mental health. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I have um some other people that that I'd like us to both connect with um because I think that's really incredibly important. I I just can't say thank you enough for coming oh, on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I do have one question. So where are you going to go with this? What's your big plans for the future? My big plans for the future. Sorry. Uh, My big plans for the future is to keep going out, speaking, not only just on Twitter spaces and Clubhouse and IG and all that, but actually like in events and keep educating people. You know, the, the, the stigma of mental health and the mis, the misleading information is it's, it's annoying. So I took it upon myself to show others that they're not alone and to educate people when it comes to mental health. So that's my big plan to keep on pushing and recruit people. So you now I know I can't do it by myself. So I recruit people to not only help me educate, but also like I, at the end of the day, I know I'm not for everyone. And if, if I'm not, I want to steer that person that needs help to that person that can't help. Well, I cannot thank you enough. I think you're absolutely lovely. Thank you. I know you're going to do big things in this space. And I look forward to the next time you and I talk. Because I don't think you need me. I'm here. Too far in the future, that's for sure. This brings us to the end of the chat. Once again, I am so honored to have Herbie Mack as my guest today. As I always say, please make the most of your today every day. And I'm going to see you next time we do this. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.